No, as he said, uh, as soon as Jamie starts talking, he was very keen to make sure I wouldn't sing. <laughs> it's fine, Matthew. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. Uh, welcome here if you're visiting us. A uh, special welcome to you. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here, and going to be opening up the scriptures for you in a few minutes. Uh, before we do that, church family, I've got a couple of uh, sad announcements to make, and I'd like us to pray together, some family announcements. Um, we lost uh, two sisters in the faith this uh, week, and um, uh, two individuals have been part of the Seven Oaks family for years and years and years and years. Uh, Leona Goldsmith passed away uh, this week. Uh, many of you will have known Leona, and uh, maybe that's uh, news to you. Uh, she passed away this week, um, and also Joy McCarthy passed away uh, this week as well. So uh, two stalwarts of the faith and uh, members of our congregation for so long, and so our hearts are saddened. Uh, for the families. Um, I do have some funeral information for Leona. That's this coming Thursday uh, at 12.30 p.m. here in the chapel. Um, I don't have any information for Joy. I believe it will be in the new year, but we'll get information out as soon as we can. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you so much for uh, the life of Leona and the life of Joy. Um, they are such wonderful women, and uh, they loved you so deeply. And so we both uh, mourn their passing and we'll miss them, and we mourn along with their family, but we rejoice in the fact that both of them had such a deep and settled faith that we know where they are, and we know who they're with, and for that we are comforted. But for the family members, Lord, for the family of Leona, I pray that you would be their source and strength and grace at this time, that you would envelop them in your love and help them uh, as they mourn uh, at this time. And we pray for the family of Joy McCarthy as well. I think of Dave and Flora uh, specifically, uh, others, uh, the rest of the family, the wider family also we lift before you and pray that also you would be their comfort and strength. Uh, and, and encouragement during this time that you would draw them close and help them to mourn well and to remember well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, speaking of which, uh, every year we do a candlelight memorial service around this uh, time of year. And uh, just want to let you know that's coming up this Tuesday, uh, Tuesday the 6th, that's right, at 6.30 p.m. right here in the chapel. So uh, if you've never been to one of those, uh, you're uh, invited to come. It's open to everybody. We actually open it up to our community as well, to Abbots the community of Abbotsford. And uh, it's for people for whom, you know, Christmas can be hard because they've lost someone. And whether you've lost somebody this year or five years ago or 30 years ago, um, if this is a hard time for you, or you just want to come and, uh, and honor and remember your loved one, we invite you to come. We sing together. We have somebody share. We read some scriptures. We light some candles. It's a really poignant and special moment at the beginning of the Christmas season. So uh, if you'd like to come, you're welcome to come and join us on Tuesday evening in the chapel. All right. Many years ago, uh, my sister and I were traveling in uh, the southern United States, and uh, we were on our way to the city of New Orleans. And so we had been in St. Louis in the Midwest, and we're heading south. We went uh, and stayed a few days in Memphis, and then we were heading uh, further south in New Orleans. And uh, before we got on the bus to get there, we had sent an email ahead to a youth of the mission base in New Orleans to see if we could uh, find a place to stay, to see if they had some hospitality suites. 
And uh, this was before the time of smartphones. So for those of you who are a bit younger and can't imagine those times, uh, we had to go into this thing called an internet cafe, uh, if we could find one in the city. And we had to send an email, and then we just hoped that it got there and that somebody responded. It was, it was hard in those days. It was kind of like the settlers. <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was a struggle. You have it so easy now. And uh, so we, we had sent an email from this internet cafe, and we got on the bus. And thankfully, as we arrived in downtown New Orleans and got off the bus in this bus station, there were people from YWAM waiting for us, and they had like a little sign, and they took us to their base, and they, they put us up, and it was wonderful. And so we spent the afternoon just hanging out at the base, and there was a group of Bible college students from Florida there as well. And they were in the city to do a little bit of outreach as part of their ministry education, sort of like a practicum uh, kind of thing. So we hung out with them, and they had told us that that night they were going to go into the, 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 the heart of New Orleans, the French Quarter, uh, where Bourbon Street is, and Mardi Gras happens, and all of that, sort of the bustling center of the city, and they were going to go and do some ministry there. They were going to go and share the gospel with people. And they asked if we wanted to go. And my sister and I, we were just traveling around like uh, vagabonds, and so we were like up for any kind of adventure. We were like, sure, we'll come. That'll be fun. So, uh, so off we went into the city, and uh, we got on this uh, little ferry that crossed the Mississippi River that goes through New Orleans and sort of empties out into the Gulf of Mexico, and we, we took it across. And we landed there right in the bustling heart of New Orleans. And we were a couple of blocks away from Bourbon Street. It was alive and busy, and you kind of took in the sights and the smells of the French Creole kind of culture and atmosphere and so on. And we got to this small city park, and it was really, really small. And it was surrounded by like um, black wrought iron French style uh, fencing, if you can sort of picture what that looks like. And all around this park, all up against the fence, uh, was various tables where people were set up. And so some of them were artists, and they were selling their artwork, and some were um, you know, crafts people who were selling different types of crafts and so on. And then there was a whole bunch of people who were offering spiritual guidance. And so there were people doing tarot card reading, and there were people who would read your palms, and there were people who were mediums and claimed that they could connect to the dead and that kind of thing. And I have to say, church family, I've never felt such dark spiritual oppression in a place before as we arrived there. Um, it was like thick and tangible in the air, and it was like pressing down on the chest like this. And it was, it was something, I was a fairly new Christian at the time, and I learned something about the spiritual realm at that point, that here we were as some believers and followers of Jesus, and we were not welcome here. Uh, there, were, there was spiritual realities that were unhappy with our presence. And so we moved to the side of the street, and we just prayed together for a while, and eventually the, um, uh, the sort of oppression began to lift, and we went and had a great evening sharing the gospel and, and talking with people. And I tell you that story because I believe there is something about human beings that want to connect with things that are beyond our experience. There's, if there's some special knowledge to be had, most of us would like to have it. If there's a way we can know something about the future, I think there is a pull and a temptation for us to want to know uh, something about the future. And I don't believe that it's absolutely universal. I think there are some people who are scared of the future and, and categorically don't want to know the future and just want to live in the present, live in the now. But I think there are many people who do have this kind of intrigue, this curiosity, this fascination perhaps with the idea of connecting into and knowing something that's sort of beyond uh, beyond the regular accessibility of our, of our kind of um, 
uh, our senses and so on, something beyond us. There is an impulse to know the future. Last Sunday, we began um, our Advent series called Whispers of Christmas, and we looked at Genesis chapter 3 right at the beginning. And we looked at that story of how um, there was a first kind of hint or a whisper of God's intent to try and fix the fall. Right after it happened, we have this, this promise of a redeemer who would right the wrongs and provide a way back for wayward humanity. God promised that the head of the serpent who represented Satan and all that was opposed to good and God and humanity would be crushed under the feet of a coming one. There would be an offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And so we got our first whisper of Christmas. And today we're going to fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years into the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look for our next hint. In the book of Deuteronomy, we are, you know, there are many, many uh, offspring of the woman uh, by this time. And, and here we are, um, and the Hebrew people had just been liberated from slavery in Egypt, the nation of Egypt. They'd been liberated under the leadership of Moses. And they'd been taken out in the desert. And there they were being shaped into a people and shaped into a nation that would go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of Palestine, where they would set up home and they would become a worshiping community with God at the center. And their call was that then they would be a blessing to all the nations that had scattered across the earth. That was the call of Israel. That was a way in which God was going to call people back to him through this special set-aside nation. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that there were successes and there were failures. There were some major failures uh, in the people of Israel. Uh, in fact, an entire generation had died off in the wilderness, and a new generation had grown up, had been born and grown up, and were being shaped uh, into the people. And so uh, here they are camped on the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River, poised and ready to go into the promised land and take it and fulfill the vision. And Moses, their leader, stands up. And I imagine him kind of standing up maybe with a cane. He was very, very old at this point. And he stands up and he makes an address to them. He, he, he delivers a series of sermons to them, some charges to them. And what he said to them there on the plains of Moab across the Jordan River is, is collected together for us in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what it is. And he repeats a lot of things because this is a new generation. He repeats the law to them. He repeats the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers that you find uh, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second law. And so he delivers this kind of, this kind of key central sermon of his life before he dies, passing on to the next generation. And then he would die and it would be up to his successor, Joshua, to take the people into the promised land. And one of the things he says in the book of Deuteronomy, among many, many things he said, was when you get there, when you cross this river, when you get to the promised land, don't practice the occult. Don't practice the occultic practices that are practiced by the Canaanites living in the land as a way of trying to determine the future or connect to the gods or win favor from the gods for, um, for wars and battles or, or uh, the, the fruit, fruitfulness of the land and, and so on. So Deuteronomy 18, and we're going to read verses 9 to 14 coming on the screen for you. When you come into the land that the Lord is giving you, you must not learn to imitate the abhorrent practices of those nations. Verse 10. 
No one shall be found among you who, who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire, or who practices divination, or is a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or who consults ghosts or spirits, or seeks oracles from the dead. For whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord. It is because of such abhorrent practices that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You must remain completely loyal to the Lord your God, although these nations that you're about to dispossess do give heed to soothsayers and diviners. As for you, the Lord your God does not permit you to do so. We're going to read a little bit more uh, in a few minutes. So he begins this section of Deuteronomy by saying, don't do what those nations do. Don't do it. And quite frankly, some of what those nations were doing were, were downright evil. The, the first thing he says is, um, make sure that you don't engage in child sacrifice. I mean, how abhorrent, how wicked, how evil, how, how gross does a nation have to become to think that that's a legitimate thing to do? Don't pass your children through the fire, he says. And then he goes on, you see, what, what's happening is that, that ancient serpent from Genesis chapter 3 is continuing to work in and among people and, and giving power to fallen humanity. And what comes out is some really uh, detestable evil. He then goes on lists a bunch of the dark arts. He lists witchcraft. Don't engage in witchcraft. Don't participate in divination, which is uh, sort of techniques to try to determine the, the minds of the gods, that kind of thing. Uh, or, or soothsaying. Soothsaying is trying to predict the future. Or one who casts spells. That's when people try, it's connected to witchcraft, is when people cast spells to try to bind people spiritually. Don't, don't cast spells. Um, uh, or don't consult with ghosts or spirits or, or seek oracles from the dead. That's a medium. Somebody engaging clairvoyance and a medium that tries to connect with the dead uh, and so on. Don't do any of these things, Israel. Don't go to the tables around the park in New Orleans. However much you think you want to know the future, or you hope for a bit of spiritual favor from an expert who understands that realm, don't do it. Not only is it abhorrent to God, but it will actually bind you, and quite possibly your life will begin to fall apart. I'm pretty convinced, and uh, this is, I'm moving into my opinion now, but I'm pretty convinced that people who practice things like tarot card reading and palm reading and, and all those kind of things, mediums and that, that, are, that are, have been growing in the West, um, people that participate in those things, most of them don't really know what they're doing. This is my opinion, but I, I actually don't think many of them know what they're doing. A little bit like if you imagine a, a big corporate organization where you've got the workers in, on the shop floor who are selling the products, and they know enough about the products and enough about the business to sell them, but then you have a bunch of supervisors, and then you have some middle managers, and then at the head office, you have some kind of corporate top managers, and then you have the CEO, and, and, and the people at the bottom, they don't really know everything that's going on about the organization. They don't understand it all. In the same way, I don't think a lot of people that practice those things really understand what they're doing, and I'm pretty convinced they are actually trying to help. I don't think their motive is necessarily bad. They're trying to help people because they meet desperate people. They meet people who have lost somebody, uh, lost a loved one, and they don't have the hope of heaven, and they don't have the hope of Jesus, and they don't have the hope uh, that, that we might have. And so they've lost somebody, and whether they believe in an afterlife or not, they want to kind of maybe connect and see, well, if there is an afterlife, is my, is my loved one there, and are they okay, and are they safe? And they're desperate. They meet desperate people. 
And I honestly think they're trying to help them. And they probably do help them in a certain way. So I don't think the motive is always bad, although sometimes I think the motive is bad. Sometimes I think they only say very generalized things that could be true for almost anyone to get paid. I think there's some of that going on, but I think a lot of them are genuinely trying to help. The problem is they don't understand really what they're connecting into. I do believe some do. Some that are so entrenched understand exactly what they're tapping into, and they understand that it's wrong and it's evil, but they don't care. My opinion. Uh, not too long ago, I, um, a couple of us worked with a woman who, for, who was being so assailed by demonic activity that her life was just falling apart. Um, she couldn't hold down a job, couldn't do anything. She was, she was so bound. And the entrance of that demonic activity into her life was tarot card reading. And so we had to work with her for quite a while, and eventually we did some deliverance, exorcism, and so on. And we got her free, and that was, that was great. Um, but, but it's absolutely binding upon people, and most people have no idea what they're doing. Part of the reason I think there is a growing interest in spirituality in the West is because influenced by the Enlightenment, which is not bad, the Enlightenment brought many things for human flourishing. We learned a lot about science and the arts and all those kind of things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good that came out of the Enlightenment, but... Influenced by the Enlightenment, the church became more about theology and doctrine and study and belief in terms of mental ascent, all of which is good. We need to do that. We need deep thinking. We need theological reflection. We need effective study. But what happened was we moved away from power and the miraculous and the spirit and the experiential sides of the faith. And more charismatic expressions of the church have helped us to recover those things. And I think we need to be thankful for that. And certainly too much of that, by pendulum swimming, swinging too much the other way, we can end up actually being all about the experience, and that's not right or helpful either. We can actually jump too much in that direction. But what we need to do, and what I think, when I think the church is most powerful, is when we marry word and power together, when we actually have a balance. The apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not only with word, but also with power and full conviction in the Holy Spirit. It's both. It's both and. It is not one or the other, but as the church in the West has largely camped out on the word side and nervously ignored or sometimes outright denied the power and the spirit side, people out there have come to the church and not been able to find their deep answers. And so they've gone elsewhere. A medium was able to tell me about my life more in five minutes than I heard in years of sermons. How tragic. How terribly tragic. The impulse within humanity to know deeper things and to know the future is why the church needs to be a prophetic community. It's why we need the gifts and people need to encounter Jesus rather than just learn stuff about him. And I'm not saying that we don't encounter Jesus. We do, profoundly. I'm just saying there's work to be done. And I've been banging this drum for years. And there's still work to be done. Back to ancient Israel. For ancient Israel, they've been, they've been told to avoid all of these practices when they go into the land, but they still had concern, well, how are we going to know the future? And how are we going to know where to go? And how are we going to hear God's voice and all that? Because Moses is going to die. And he's our prophetic voice. He's our leader. He, he's our shepherd. He's our mediator. Without him, what on earth are we going to do? And so Deuteronomy 15 uh, to 18 says this, coming up on the screen again for you. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, says Moses, from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Sinai, Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, if I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore or ever again see the great fire, I will die. You're so dramatic. (laughs) Then the Lord replied to me, they are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who will speak to them everything that I command. Israel wanted to hear from God. They wanted to know where they should go and how they should go about it. They wanted to know how to lead the sort of battle in the, in the, in the, um, in the new promised land. But they didn't want to go anywhere near God. Remember last week we talked about the tragedy of Genesis 3? They were walking in the garden and they'd sinned and all of a sudden they hid from God. They heard him coming in the, on, on the gentle breeze of the evening. Instead of running out to, to daddy to be with him, they hid from him. How tragic. And we do that when we, when, we, when we carry shame. We hide from God. We don't want to be around him. It's, it's tragic. And so they wanted to hear from God, but they didn't want to go anywhere near him. They saw Moses go off and then go up the mountain and then enveloped in cloud and fire and fireworks and all those kind of things. And they're like, uh, we don't want to go there. That's scary. Moses, you go. You go talk to God and then just tell us what he says. They wanted a mediator. They wanted somebody who was going to face God and then tell them what God said. But what happens once Moses is gone? He's getting old. What on earth are we going to do? I was reading this passage this week, and it made me think of Jesus in the Gospels when he looks at the crowds and he said, I had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Israel is sheep as well. What happens once their shepherd is gone? And you can see the vulnerability of Israel here. If they cross over into the land and they, they don't have a leader anymore, somebody who can go and talk to God on their behalf, well, they might be tempted to go to the Canaanite diviners and soothsayers and so on as a way of determining the future because they're sort of desperate. Well, we need to know because what, should we do this or not? Well, where, what's the future hold? Where do we go? You can see there's risk and vulnerability. And so God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their people. And he does provide leaders. Joshua, many judges, kings, priestly leaders like high priests. He raises up prophets right throughout the New Testament, uh, Old Testament, rather, many of them. So he doesn't leave them like sheep without a shepherd. And the line of prophets are the mouthpieces of God. They bring the word of the Lord, mostly to the Israelite king, but to the people. They bring the word of the Lord. And I think one of the things we learn about all of this is that God always is keen to speak to his people. And I think that's true today as well. And I've said many, many times from this platform uh, to you before, I think that God speaks far more than we ever realize. The problem is we don't know how to listen. Listening to God's voice is not about trying to convince him, oh, please speak. It's about just becoming aware that he is speaking. The problem is for so many of us, our life is so busy and there's so much noise and there's so much static and there's no room and there's no margin that we create and we're so busy we don't give space to him to speak and then we get mad or upset because, well, God never speaks to me. Well, do you give him any time to speak to you and do you get, or is your life so busy and loud and noisy? Of course you're not hearing God. He's not going to shout at you. He speaks largely through a still, small voice. 
And we have to attune ourselves into that. So God does provide mediators throughout the history of Israel. He doesn't leave them as sheep without a shepherd. He continues to lead and guide them. And the prophets are the means of knowing what God wants you to know about the future, not soothsayers and diviners and so on. God will tell you about the future. And then you will have to live in faith and trust about the things he doesn't want you to know. And don't go trying to find it out. You've got to trust him. This is the faith journey. Trust that there are some things he doesn't want you to know. As well as sending the prophets from among the people, the passage became understood as messianic. They developed a belief that there would be a specific prophet that would come. In the Israelite world, both king and prophet became ways of picturing a redeemer that would come, the Messiah, the prophet, the Davidic king. We often talk about that, don't we, as Jesus, as a son of David. David became a model of of messianic expectation, and, and that developed, but so did Moses, a specific prophet like Moses from among your people. And and this idea of Moses and the prophet comes primarily from chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. So church family, what we have here is our second whisper. We have our second hint. We have our second clue that God's going to do something. God was going to bring one who would crush the head of the serpent and offspring of the woman. And God was going to bring one that would be a prophet, an offspring of the woman, and Israel should heed his voice. And God would put in his mouth the prophet's mouth, the words that God wanted him to speak. John 12, 48 to 50, let's see what Jesus has to say. The one who rejects me, says Jesus, and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word I have spoken will serve as judge, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, says Jesus, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus' self-understanding as the prophet who will speak the words that God gives him. The Father gives him. And then a couple of times in the book of Acts, the prophet is mentioned as well. So what we have is another hint. We have another clue. We have another whisper. And what we have throughout the scriptures is a progressive revelation. It's like God was showing them a little bit at a time and then building on that vision and understanding and so on. And it's why after the death of Jesus in the New Testament, the apostles uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit were reflecting on on the scriptures that they had, the Old Testament, the Torah, and they were reflecting on it and they were developing an understanding of Jesus and they were seeing all these things and all these whispers and hints and clues. And finally, it was all beginning to make sense in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the things Jesus said and the things Jesus did. And it's like... Things were just like light bulbs were just going off in their heads. That beautiful story on the road to Emmaus when when Jesus is walking with them and they don't know it's Jesus and they say, weren't our hearts burning within us as he explained the scriptures to us? And all of these whispers became loud shouts for them. So church family, let me encourage you, uh, as I did last week, to look for the light this Advent season to look for the gentle whisper, to look for the coming one. I encourage you to feel the tension of the waiting. Don't get to Christmas too soon. Feel the tension of waiting and longing and hoping for the coming one, for the birth of the Messiah. 
And let me encourage you as well to be seeking God for the things you want worked out in your own lives, the answers that you want. Let me encourage you to ask God to prophetically speak into your life regarding the future, whether it's a direction that you need or some wisdom on how to deal with a specific situation or some promise you want from God. And then wait, and then wait patiently and expectantly for Him to answer you and create margin and space for Him to answer, and not only answer in a preconceived way that's okay with you, but allow Him to speak in the way He wants to speak, and maybe stretch you, and then to receive His answer by faith. And if the answer is no or wait, then you have to do the hard work of learning to live by faith and trust that the thing that you're seeking or the thing that you want an answer to, God is saying, you don't really need to know that. And maybe he is saving you a whole bunch of pain, or maybe the timing is just simply wrong, or you simply just don't need to know. And God is calling you to trust, and he is extremely trustworthy. Amen. We're going to go to communion uh, this morning uh, now. And so if you're new here, uh, by the way, if, if you don't have, if you didn't get one of these on the way in, um, and you would like to participate in communion, just sort of wave your hand and uh, we'll have somebody bring them round for you. Uh, there's some people up in the balcony. If, if we could just serve the balcony, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Is there anybody down here who didn't get one that wants one? We're good. If you've never, if you're new here and have never taken communion with us in this way, um, uh, it's a little weird, but uh, there's, two, there's two coverings to this little thing here. This uh, looks like a coffee creamer, doesn't it? Um, just gently take off the... the uh, the see-through one like this, and there will be a wafer under there. And then just very carefully pull back the pink foil so you don't spill it on your jeans because uh, nobody wants to do that. And that's how, you, uh, that's how you access the elements during this season. Church family, we've been talking about whispers and hints, and we're going to continue to for the next few weeks. But if we've been around faith long enough, we know that eventually it's going to come to the birth, and then eventually come Easter, it's going to come to the death of Jesus. And um, that is the central part of our faith. That is the part that enables the, the chasm that exists between God and humans to be crossed. And that's where we put our faith in the finished works of Jesus. And so uh, we've begun with a whisper, and at the cross, it becomes a loud shout, a cry from the cross, from the lips of Jesus, and will be fulfilled one day by the loud sound of a trumpet. Uh, but we're focusing on the loud shout at this moment, and so uh, we're going to remember together the death of Jesus, his body, and his blood, and I'm going to go to the New Testament and read the words of Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So all you who know uh, Jesus, let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All you who know Jesus, let's drink together. Heavenly Father, we are eternally thankful for the whispers that brought about the incarnation that eventually led to the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we now sit in the light of hoping and looking for the next advent, the second advent, the trumpet sound, the redemption and the renewal of all things. So as we live in this space, as we wait, we are thankful for the cross and we offer up our hearts, our minds, our voices in thankfulness to you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did not step away from your calling, but you said to the Father, yet not my will, but yours be done. And you obediently went to your sacrificial death so that we today might stand and be free. Thank you. Amen.